We are reading from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may will, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Great job. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your word and would you use it to change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it had already been a really hard morning. Her husband hurried off to work for an early morning meeting at the office. She had three kids at the house. She had to get them bathed and ready and clothed. She threw breakfast together. She put some food in their bodies and she gets them by some miracle of God dressed normally and gets their shoes on their feet, their socks on, gets them out to the car. And as she's going to the car, she lunch. So she runs back into the house and she fixes their school lunches. Any moms amen in this yet? She scrambles it together. She throws it in there. She ransacks the fridge, finds what she wants, throws together a lunch and then out the door they go. She gets to school and they forgot something. So she drops the kids off. She goes back home to pick it up, gets the backpack, gets back to school. And finally, when she drops her oldest two off to school, she goes, thank goodness I can now have a break. And then she hears the screams in the back seat because her youngest had just spilled her sippy cup all over the outfit that grandma just gave her. Or Joe can't wait to get home from school because he's ready to tear into his computer and play this new game he's been dying to play. So the minute he busts through the door, he hears his mother say to him, Hey, honey, welcome home. Hey, before you start playing games, you need to finish all your homework. And Joe thinks to himself, What? Homework? Man, who is this woman? God, what are you doing to me? She just likes to take away all of my fun. Does it sound familiar? I mean, this is our life, isn't it? You know, what's interesting about the Bible is that there are really only two passages in the New Testament that directly speak to how parents are to treat their children and how children are to obey their parents. Only two passages in all of Scripture. And what's even more interesting to me than that is that for Almost 2,000 years, parents raised their children only on one book, the Bible. You know, it really wasn't until the 1940s that the first book called Baby and Child Care came out by Dr. Benjamin Spock in 1946. It was the first book, first how-to book on parenting. And even in the 40s and 50s and even the 60s, those of you who may remember, there really were relatively few resources for parents on how to raise your children, certainly for children on how to respect your parents. But in the last 40 years, from 1970 until today, according to Am- if you were to do a search on all the Christian books that have been published on parenting, there are 2,150 Christian books, Christian books, 
books that have been published on the topic of parenting between 1970 and 2013. Now, that's not to mention the thousands of non-Christian books that have been published on how to build your child's self-esteem, on how to raise their SAT scores, on how to get them into Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. We are inundated with information about how to raise our children. But let me ask you a question. Has it made our kids any better? Has it made you a better parent? Those of you who hope to have children one day, has it helped you become better prepared? And children, does it help you learn to respect your parents more? Most of us would say that we're Christian parents. But do we raise our children in distinctively Christian ways? What is the difference between somebody who does not profess the name of Jesus Christ and the way they raise their children and the way that people who do profess Jesus Christ and the way they raise theirs? That's the question that we're after this morning. That's the question that Paul lays before us in Ephesians chapter 6. So let's look at it. Let's get at it by answering these three questions. What do we mean by relating to one another in a distinctively Christian way in the house? How can we do that? And why should we relate to one another in that way? Okay? What do you mean? How do you do it? Why should we care? What do we mean? Take your Bibles and your laps. Look at them. Look at verse 1. Look what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, this was written to the Ephesians and Paul isn't telling children that were in the crowd in Ephesus. This word children actually means those who were still dependent upon their parents in the home. It certainly relates to those of us who are older, who are out of the home and have parents that we still need to honor and respect. But he was speaking specifically to kiddos that were in the house. Kiddos, do you hear me? He was talking to you guys. And he's not saying, okay, obey your parents if they're in the Lord. He's saying you should obey them. In the Lord, that's the method of how you ought to obey them, regardless of whether they're Christians or not. In Christ, in Christo, in Greek, is one of the most essential and crucial and pinnacle phrases in all of the Bible. It's used 22 times alone in just the first three chapters of Ephesians. It refers to your position or to your status, to your centeredness on Jesus, on the gospel. You see it, for example, all throughout the text. If you were to flip back in your Bibles, you see it in chapter 2, verse 21. You're to be a holy temple in the Lord. Or in 4.17. Now, Paul says, I testify in the Lord that you should walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Or in 5.8. You're a once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Do you hear this refrain? All through? It's all throughout Scripture. It's just packed in Ephesians or in chapter 6 it says uh, Tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord this phrase in the Lord is a very technical phrase that means that you are positioned in Christ you have union with him you have a relationship with him why is this important it's important because practically it means that you children you parents are going to be centered on something. 
If you love OSU football, man, you're high on life today. If you're an Aggie, man, you're at the pit of despair. You're going to be centered on sports. You're going to be centered on something. Something that is at the apex of the pinnacle as you be able to ascend the pinnacle of your life. Plato talked about your life being like the apex of a triangle. As you ascend to the top of that apex, you will have room for fewer and fewer things. Question, what is that one thing that defines you when everything else has been lost? If I lost my portfolio... If I lost the church plant, if I lost my job, then I would be crushed. Like that's a helpful exercise, children and parents, to ask yourself. Do you know what you're centered on? What would cause you to leave the faith, to tell God, sayonara, if you lost it? Your house? Your money? Your reputation? At A&M, there is in the um, mechanical engineering building, there is this huge pendulum. And it's this huge plumb line, and it would hang from the ceiling of this ginormous building, four or five stories tall. And we would go into class there, and we would sometimes like try to kick on this pendulum to see if we could swing it ever so slightly and it's so heavy you could maybe move it just a little bit but you know what would happen when you got out of class you'd come back and by golly the thing was still laser beamed on the exact same spot and to be in christ paul says it's like you're plumb lined into christ that no matter how much the wind blows or how much pressure is on you you come back again and again to that center point you're centered on the work of jesus christ for you now parents look at verse four it says fathers this could be parents as well but fathers you have a particular responsibility do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord there it is of the lord it wasn't a throwaway term paul is assuming that the parents are bringing them up centered on the gospel In 4.12, it says that the apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ in the Lord. Or in 4.13, we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the mature stature of the fullness of Christ. Or 4.32, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, I'm just trying to help you see that of the Lord being in Christ it is replete throughout Ephesians Ephesians 4:32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving forgiving each other as Christ in God forgave you what does it mean to be Christ centered in your relationships at home it means to treat one another as Christ in Christ for Christ How do you distinctively nurture your children? You treat them as Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. What do we mean? Fathers, in ancient Israel, they had a few more rights than you had. For example, if their son disobeyed them consistently, they, together with their wife, could have their son stoned. Pretty good motivation. 
Or if they wanted to, they could sell their daughters into slavery. The Greeks had the same standard of living, by the way, in case you think the Israelites were off of their rockers. The Romans actually trumped it up a little bit. They had what's called the pater potestas. They had the ultimate authority is from the father, so that if your son somehow was elected to be the highest senator in the land, he still was to report to his dad. He still was under the authority of his father. As you can imagine, this caused a lot of friction between sons and fathers in the ancient Near East. But Paul takes this text and he unfolds it in such a beautiful way. He doesn't say, hey dads, assert your rights as fathers who can control your kids. No, he says, quite to the contrary, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And the Greek word to bring them up means to nurture them, to hold them, to counsel them and to encourage them. And he, he, he lays it out in two different ways. He says in the discipline, which means in the instruction, that you are to teach them the ways of the Lord, that you are to help them know scripture. Yes, you're to help them understand why do we sing songs in worship? What do those songs mean? You're to help them understand the content of scripture. But you're also to provide them instruction. Instruction is not a very good English translation of the Greek word. It's really netheo. It means to counsel or to encourage. It's you're to be, yes, the disciplinarian and the instructor, but you're also to be the one who nurtures them and forms them. Literally, netheo means to place one's mind. You are to place their mind in the context of Scripture. So dads, your job is to form your child's worldview. And to help them see that the Bible is not like your Ford manual in your truck. It is not just a how-to manual to get through life. It is a story of how God has come into our situation through the incarnation. And he has suffered and died for us. So that in his sacrificial death and in his atonement for us, we can we can actually begin to live the life that he's called us to live because of what he has done for us. The gospel, the older you get, you learn that the gospel is not just a set of dogma that you believe. It's not less than that, but it's more. It becomes an entire worldview through which you see life. That's one, I think, of the chief reasons why parenting has gone wrong in the Christian world. We think that parenting is about techniques, it's about building our kids' self-esteem. It's about trying to get them to behave a certain way. But Paul says, if you are nurturing them, if you are raising them up in the Lord, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then you're beginning to not let it be so structured. All of your life becomes instruction for them. And some of you dads say, well, I, I can't do that. Well, you do stuff. Do you talk to your daughters and your sons about why you do certain things? Well, I don't have time. Well, you know what? It's your responsibility to make time. And that may mean that you need to make some adjustments at work. You do have the time because God's given you these children. You know that in Scripture, God only sets out three institutions. I mentioned this last week, but one of them was the state, one of them was the church, and the other 
was the family. And this is God's idea. And we ought to be the most broken dads in the world, the most broken mothers in the world, because we know that we can't do it. That's exactly right. You can only do it in the Lord, as I'm going to talk about in just a minute. You know, when you go to the ophthalmologist sometimes and he puts you in that room and you see the words, the letters on the screen, and he flips the screen and he goes, okay, clear or clearer? Clear, clear. And you know, you go A, B, A, B, right? And that's kind of like the gospel. You're constantly helping your sons and your daughters see. Now, does the gospel help you see this better or worse? Better or worse? How do you understand the way they watch TV? Do you bring questions to bear? Do you watch TV shows with them and say, oh, they, has, they said a cuss word. Never watch that show again. That, you could do that. You could. I'm not condoning shows in any way that have offensive language. But could you also turn that show in such a way that says, let's think about what's true about that movie and what's not. How does that show us the beauty of Christ's incarnation and his imminent return? And where does that show lie to you about the way we treat each other or the way that we treat our bodies? Friends, the joy of parenting is that it is so organic and beautiful, and that's also what makes it so hard. How do we possibly do this? You relate to your kids in the same way through Christ. Now, that's not just Christian speak from some pastor. What do I mean by that? How do you raise your kids up as it tells us to raise them up? You want to know the secret? You can't. It's impossible to do by yourself. You will exhaust yourself trying to, I had a student, I had a student um, in my campus ministry whose name was Princeton. They named him Princeton because they had one goal for his life. And yes, he fulfilled their highest ambitions and hopes. All of their energy and time was put into this one kid to get him into the school. That was their sense of parenting. Make him perfect. And you know what? It was one of the most troubled families I'd ever met. You cannot do it. You have to remember that Paul gives this exhortation to us in the context of the whole of the book of Ephesians. And he just said in 521, a few verses above, that to be filled with the Spirit means three different things. It means that you, well, four. It means you make songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You have a new song about your life. There's music outflowing from who you are. You have a new sense of gratitude and thanksgiving in light of Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And then the third reason he gives us, the third and final, he says, and you have a new kind of humility. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And to illustrate what that submission looks like, he talks about parenting. And then he talks about children and their parents. There are four participles. Singing and thanksgiving. And then the last one he gives is submitting. Which means to suffer for the other person's good. And it's not hard, parents, for us to imagine how we do that. We do that all the time. But children, kids, and I'm talking to myself because my mom and dad are still alive. I want you to look at me for just, just a second. 
I want you to know that you are loved by your Savior. And he cares more for you than you could ever dream. And I know that some of you really don't like your mom and dad. And you know what? You didn't choose them. But you know who did? Your Savior. And he loves you so much that he gave those parents to you to encourage you and to help you. And he wants you to trust him and to obey him. Even when it may not make sense. And children, I also want to say one other thing to you. You know that you could always come to the elders of this church if you ever felt like there was something that you wanted to talk about that you didn't feel like you could talk about with your mom and dad. You're always welcome to do that. We love you and we care for you. We always want you to recognize your parents' authority. And we want you to trust them. But also know that we're here for you. And we care for you. And it's our solemn responsibility as leaders of this church to protect our children. You cannot manufacture being a good parent. It has to come because you are in Christ. You're constantly going again and again back to Christ. So what does it look like practically? Children, you're to treat your parents as you would treat God himself with the power and the perspective that he gives you. So let's say that Joe comes home from school, okay, and he wants to play video games, and his mom says, no, you've got to finish your homework first. Now, if Joe viewed his life through the lens of pleasure, he might say something like this, like, why, God, why do you, what's going on? Like, all I want to do is have fun, and she's ruining my fun. And you would get all tied up in knots, and you'd get frustrated, and you'd get really angry at your mom. Or, if you viewed your life through the lens of performance, you would go, homework? Yes! And you would go run to your homework, right? There are a few crazies out there that believe this. And you would go run into your homework, and you could say, if I can just make an A+, then my dad would finally tell me that he loves me. And you're driven by this relentless sense of trying to impress your parents and your teachers and your friends. And you're crushed when you don't get that A because your reputation is tarnished. But seeing that situation through the lens of the gospel might look like this. You might say, oh man, I I really don't want to do my homework. But I know that God has given me these parents. Trust me, it's hard to do this, but you can do it. I know God has given me these parents and I trust them and I'm going to obey what they say to do. Because I know that to think God's thoughts after him is one of the greatest ways I could ever worship. And I'm going to do the very best I can in school and I'm going to get my homework done. And I don't know how you're going to do on your homework. And you, you, may, you, may, you may not, you may get an F. I don't know. But I can tell you that by recognizing that the gospel is not just trying to be a good kid, but it's by seeing all of your life through the lens of Jesus Christ and his work for you, that you're able to have some perspective. And you're able to say, I know I need to do my homework well because I know that it provides opportunities for me to extend God's kingdom later. It gives me platforms that I would otherwise not have without a good education. And that, oh, that will be fun. Parents, how do you relate to your kids through Christ? You use God's law in order to give them grace. You use God's law in order to give them grace. Now listen to what I mean. Most parents, most parents just try to 
use the Bible as some kind of heavy-handed law book. You need to do this because the Bible says I could stone you if you don't. You need to do this. Parents don't say that, but they pretty much imply that. You need to, because the Bible says so. Listen, you need to set up rules and boundaries. You need to set those rules and boundaries. Yes, you need to be able to say no to your children, and you need to discipline them. But you also need to do that in order to drive them to grace. So, for example, what do I mean? Well, let's say that, you know, Johnny Sue hits Betty and they're crying. And Johnny says, Mom, I, I, I know I shouldn't hit her. I'm trying, but I just can't. And what do you say at that moment? Do you say, well, you better or I'll show you how. Do you use the law? Or do you say, you know what, Johnny, I know you can't, and I know it's so hard, but you know who can? Your Savior who loves you. And Jesus came, and he lived a life for you, and he died for you, so that he could teach us how to respect each other and to love each other. And God has put me in authority over you to help you obey, and if I don't help you learn to do that, then I'm going to be judged by God for not being a good mom or dad to you. I love you so much, but I want to show you how you can do that with the power that Jesus is able to provide. God's working on your heart. I can see it. So let's pray together. Let's ask him to give you the strength to do that better. It's totally different to approach it those different ways. And frankly, some of you in this audience are much better at that than I am. My wife is far better at it than I am. And some of you moms, if you struggle with this, then, then you should get together and talk about it. How do you discipline your children when this happens? How do you preach the gospel to them? You've got to use the law, yes, but you use the law to drive them to Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the Old Testament law in the first place. To reveal sin in our hearts and to drive us to the beauty of our Savior. Now, you also relate to them, and, and with this I'll close. I could preach three sermons on this. I'm going to get in trouble. You can relate to them through Christ because you give them yourself to show them grace. This is one of the greatest things that um, people who had good parents, their parents, their parents may not have done anything well, but the one key thing that all kids say about their moms and dads when they look back on their experience that they had a good childhood was that their parents were there. They were just around. And the moments that they remember about their childhood are not the moments the parents planned for. They're the moments where they're sitting down watching television. They're eating chips, watching the football game. They're talking about life when they're watching NASCAR. They're just there for them. Are you intentional with your kids? Do they know you love them? Yes, discipline, but also instruction. Yes, shape and form their intellectual understanding of the gospel but do you nurture and do you care for them do you bring them up or are you like a roman father who lays down the heavy hand of the law one of the most encouraging things to me about this as a young dad quite frankly is the apostle paul himself you know um, the suffering passages of Scripture become so much more precious to me the older that I get. 
And you'll remember that in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul talked about his own sufferings, right? Five times he had been shipwrecked, or he received the hands of the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times he'd been beaten with the rods, once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked at night, and he spent a night and a day at sea. He was on frequent journeys. He was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the wilderness dangers at sea dangers from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure listen like that sounds like being a parent (laughs) and then he says that a thorn was given to me because jesus wanted him to know that my grace is sufficient for you listen i know some of your children are not like you hope. They don't, they've got more wiggles than you can get at. They do not obey you all the time. And sometimes you think, my gosh, this is hopeless. And the people at the church are going to think weird at me. No, we're not. We're all in the same boat together. And we love your kids. But you need to know that no relationship is hopeless. And if your children just demonstrate a hard heart before the Lord, No relationship is hopeless. He saved you, didn't he? And he saved me. And we are to pray for our kids. And we are to ask the Lord to open their eyes to the truth of Scripture. And we are ourselves to soak in Scripture. To marinate in God's Word. You're to soak in it. So that your pendulum isn't always swinging. It's centered on Christ. And you can be able to say to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to give 18 years of my life for the sake of this child, who some days, if you're really honest, you just don't like, what is that against the glory of your kingdom? Your Savior loves you, and he gave you the children he gave you for a purpose. They may be hard. You know, some families, we think, you know, they've got it all together. And, um, you know, they, um, they're a great example of what it means to be distinctively Christian in their parenting, but not always. Listen, listen to this. Elise Fitzpatrick wrote this uh, in a book from which the title of the sermon comes called Give Them Grace. We think and complain that children will best teach us about the grace and the gospel as, as they can. Complaint Believing children are frequently reflections of his greatness, we think. But the Lord also teaches us that the grace and the gospel through difficult children becomes even clearer. We learn that what it is like to love like he loved. We learn how to walk in his footsteps. And it is there in our personal upper room where we learn to wash the feet of those who are betraying us. It is there, kneeling before our rebellious children, that the real power of God is demonstrated. The, complaint, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the compliant child's life lies to us, assuring us that she is good because we're such good parents. Difficult children teach us the truth, that God loves his enemies, and he can infuse us with grace that will make us lay down our lives for them too. Their rebellion is a vindication of the gospel. We produce sinful children because we are sinners, but God loves sinners. God's power is displayed through our failures when we tether ourselves to the gospel message of sin and forgiveness, no matter how desperate the situation becomes. Listen, people in this town live 
parent-centric or child-centric lives. They drag their parents along their life, don't really care or nurture them. You see this all the time. Or they revolve their lives so much around their, parent, their children's lives that they have no friends of their own. Parenting is hard. And there's only two passages in the New Testament that tell us how we should do it. And it's incredibly broad. But we do it in the Lord. And we do it together. And husbands and wives, I encourage you to have, just have a, a checkup on how you guys are raising your kids together this week. How are we doing? Are we portraying the gospel to them? Or are we always so impatient that we're just telling them to get in shape? Are we being Jesus to them and loving them well? Or are we being a Roman father, threatening, stoning if they always disobey? Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for discipline. That's not what I'm saying at all. But are you being Jesus to them? Jesus presented the law to his people, like the Sermon on the Mount, to show us what we could not be, but in him we can become. You are to be the same to your kids. Do you pray for them? Do you love them? Do you trust that the same God who loves you is the same God who has graced you with those children? And kiddos, do you honor your parents as you would Jesus? It's the only commandment that has a promise attached to it that is specific to that commandment. If you live a disciplined and orderly life, there's a good chance you'll live a long time. But if you grow up being disrespectful to your parents, you know what? That's a model of how disrespectful you'll be to God and how disrespectful you'll be to other people. And that's a pretty good indication that you may not be able to hold a job or provide for your family and you may end up on the street. For whatever reason God chose to make men as he is, Dorothy Sayers said, and with this I'll conclude. Limited in suffering and subject to sorrow and death, he, God, at least had the common courtesy and honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he has played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and he thought it was well worthwhile. Do you? Do you trust your Savior? And do you lean into him as you shepherd your kiddos? It's a lens, not a playbook. Begin to enter into that now through repentance, even repentance to your children for how you've treated them. Children, even repentance to your mom and dad for how you've misrespected them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll take the good news of the gospel, that you care for sinners, and that you care in hard relationships like the ones we're in, and you want us to live distinctively Christian. Lord, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.